It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hey, WAG listeners, it's Allison, reminding you that this show cannot be made without you. If you've been thinking about becoming a Candleland supporter, we're having a pretty great sale right now. You'll get premium ad-free feeds of all Canada Land shows, discounts on merch from our store, and exclusive bonus episodes from some of our podcasts. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Canada Land supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special offer for our listeners. For $2 a month, you can become a supporter and do your part to ensure we can continue making this show. And we really like making this show for you. Basically, nothing costs $2 anymore. You could, like, get a bag of candy, a locker at a public swimming pool. I've been honestly trying to think of something that cheap, and I'm not getting far. So sign up for just $2 a month for the next six months. Just go to canadaland.com join, or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. It's been 10 years since Rob Ford turned the Toronto mayor's office into a haunted house, which I don't mean as a hackneyed metaphor for anything, but rather as a literal statement of fact. And it's been five years since MPP Sam Oosterhoff led Doug Ford's then-recently-elected PC caucus in their own version of the Monster Mash. They did the tax. They did the carbon tax. They did the tax. They wanted all of your cash. They did the tax. We wouldn't have any stash. They did the tax. They did the carbon tax. Then Doug and his team... And yet, when it comes to Queen's Park, such kitschy, earthbound manifestations of the occult are actually kind of redundant. Because, well, the Ontario Legislature building has long been known to be haunted. Built on the grounds of a former insane asylum for women, Queen's Park's basement shares the same limestone foundation as the 19th century prison. Over the past 130 years, staff and politicians at the legislature have reported seeing several female specters. The white lady is said to be a former patient at the asylum who was abandoned by her husband and now roams the halls in a long gown with her flowing white hair. Uh, in 2020, Henderson Brewing produced a beer inspired by her, a 6% white IPA called the Ghost of Queen's Park. There's also the so-called hanging lady who haunts the hallways in the basement of the building and the weeping maiden who's allegedly been seen crying into her apron. They, on the other hand, have evidently been deemed too depressing to inspire beers. Uh, Then there's the ghost of Charles Rutherford, who served as the sergeant-at-arms in the 1930s. Uh, That was detected by a medium who took a tour through the building about 10, 15 years ago, and after wandering through the halls saying he detected the name Charles in the year 1934, the medium entered the chamber and pointed at an empty desk, saying he saw the ghost sitting behind it. Legislative staff soon realized that that was indeed the desk used by the Sergeant at Arms, uh, who was evidently now doomed to remain forever in the legislature, spectrally patting down visitors who try to bring in banners. Freedom of expression doesn't apply here. Woo! Aside from the paranormal, the spooky old building is also home to more run of the mill political fears, especially for Premier Doug Ford. So join us as we enter Queen's Park's haunted foyer travel up the grand staircase, 
and take a walk toward the premier's office, room 237. Room 281. Okay, 281. Come with us inside room 281 as we venture into Doug Ford's House of Horrors. I'm Allison Smith, publisher of Queen's Park Today, and I'm going to be Detective Pikachu for Halloween. My name is Jonathan Goldsby, news editor at Candleland, and the last time I come to call dressing up for Halloween was when my partner and I went as Sunny and Cher with her as Sunny and me as Cher. And this is Wag the Doug, a monthly podcast about Doug Ford. Enter the premier's office. The eyes in the portrait of Bill Davis follow us. And we hear something banging from behind one of the walls. It's actually in the closet. We open up the closet. Inside the closet is a skeleton. Reading the Auditor General's report! Ah! <laughs> wait, wait, who's knocking at that door? Oh no. <laughs> it's an OPP officer. We're not allowed to be in here, Jonathan. Oh shit! <laughs> That does bring to mind what must be one of the things haunting Doug Ford right now. Well, yes, the, the skeleton holding this report, which is conveniently located in his closet. And also that uniformed officer with investigative powers. God, it's like they're closing in from all sides. When you and I last did an episode on the Green Belt, we predicted the police would not investigate. What do you think of the news that the RCMP, in fact, is? It was unlikely, and we predicted no criminal consequences for anyone in or acting on behalf of the government. And as for an investigation, I I went back and checked, and my exact speculation was that the OPP might take it over to the RCMP, at which point the RCMP would be like, eh. I made it sound like that. And until we learn more about what's being scrutinized now, I'm still not quite yet convinced that the RCMP is interested in advancing this beyond, eh. It's true that we don't know much or anything about the investigation yet, except that it's being conducted by the RCMP's Sensitive and Internal Investigations Unit, which examines elected officials who are accused of fraud, financial crimes, corruptions, and breach of trust. Only thing I could find on this unit doing something was actually an example of them not doing something, which is not investigating Prime Minister Justin Trudeau in relation to the SNC-Lavalin affair. That, that all sounds about right. Yeah, they went, ooh. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, I think when Rob Ford was investigated, that was by, like, detectives for the Toronto Police Homicide Unit. But that, you know, didn't mean he was being investigated for homicide, just that, you know, for a variety of reasons, those are the officers deemed to have the most relevant experience for the investigation at hand. I don't know. I'm always, like, tempted to read too much in, into it, even though into who is chosen to lead up the investigation. But, like, are the PCs actually getting scared? Well, they've been able to use it to their advantage insofar as now anytime they get asked a question about the green belt in question period, they can just say, oh, we will not intervene in an active police <laughs> investigation, so we simply can't answer your question. 
So, you know, you pivot in politics. You got to pivot. I think probably what's scary is the unknown, right? And also the timing. Who knows how long this type of thing will take? Assumably a little while. The next election is in two and a half years. That if it potentially something big breaks from it in the lead up to that, like that's very bad. Yeah, unless charges are laid. It'll be a case of six months to a year from now. Someone will check in with the RCMP or there's some people put in a statement says, yeah, we looked into it and meh, we've concluded our investigation with some euphemism for euphemism for but if new information comes to light, euphemism, euphemism, euphemism. So maybe it's not like the most scary thing, but it's certainly, you know, we think be keeping them on their toes or keeping their, if not the hairs on their arms raised. Oh, and I think it is motivating other things they're doing. Doug Ford apologized for the Greenbelt and reversed it before we knew about the investigation. But just today, the day we're recording, Paul Calandra, who is the new housing minister, in like a very like last minute press conference that was like called a couple hours before he held it, announced the government was reversing changes to a bunch of cities, urban boundaries and official plans that it had announced on the same day as the mm-hmm. Greenbelt. In layman speak, imagine you're a city or your town has a bunch of agricultural land around it. Well, that's most likely because that is not necessarily part of the city's boundaries. But if they expand the boundaries to include that land, then housing and other stuff can get built there. So it's sprawl. Basically, it would be allowing more sprawl. Mm. And the fact they're just unwinding all of these things they spent a year using their boot to enforce mm-hmm. down people's mm-hmm. throats and defended for on and on and on and on. And now they're just like, nope, actually, we're not doing that. And, uh, and you can't sue us for changing our minds. Uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. He said that that people in Steve Clark, his predecessor's office, were too involved in the decision making process for these urban boundaries. So they're being scrapped. I mean, that to me says they're worried about something. And either Paul Calandra is tr- just really trying hard to get the housing ministry back on track. Maybe that can be true. And also, the less fishy we look, the better. As you learn as as an editor, Allison, uh, sometimes it's easier to just cut something out altogether than to try to do the work to unfuck it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of suspect that there's no solving this. It'll create more problems. Just cancel it and cut their losses. And now when they don't build 1.5 million homes, which they were never going to do, they can just blame it on this. Mm -hmm. I will say, like, the integrity commissioner's reports or that auditor general report that we saw the skeleton reading, they do give the RCMP a lot to work with. (laughs) Like, if they want to, I'm sure they can have a a very uh, long and thorough investigation and uncover lots of interesting things. So should we let the OPP in, let them just talk to the skeleton and let him pass it along as a conduit to the RCMP? Absolutely. The RCMP investigation aside, it's still not the end of the PC's greenbelt or like housing scandal more broadly, we might now call it. Uh, the Auditor General is investigating the process the PC's used to hand out minister zoning orders. And the NDP have asked the Integrity Commissioner to investigate the Las Vegas trip taken by former Cabinet Minister Khalid Rashid and two Premier's office staffers in 2020. Have we talked about the Vegas trip yet, Jono? That's definitely another specter haunting Dougie. Yeah, so like, you know that brain teaser where there's like a fox, a chicken, and a bag of grain, and you got to get them from one side of a river to the other, but can only fit two on the raft at the same time. But if you leave the fox and the chicken together, the fox will eat the chicken. And if you leave the chicken and the grain together, the chicken will eat the grain. 
it's like that, but about an MPP, a staffer, a developer, and another staffer who has since become a lobbyist. And one bank of the river is Ontario, and the other bank is the Wynn Hotel in Las Vegas, or maybe the Wynn Hotel is the raft. Either way, there are a lot of moving pieces and shifting stories, and people who probably shouldn't have been in the same place at the same time, and therefore ended up swallowing each other. But suffice it to say that Americans are really cool with reporters, and so just by speaking to staff at the hotel, journalists were able to obtain information that contradicted what the foxes and the hens and the feedback had previously told the integrity commissioner about how Ford's principal secretary, Amin Masoudi, PC caucus deputy whip Khalid Rashid, and sometimes housing policy advisor Jay Truesdale took a December 2019 trip together to Las Vegas as a last hurrah before Truesdale became a father. The story was that, while there, they had a chance meeting in the hotel lobby with the developer Shakir Rematula. And impressively, while speaking under oath to the integrity commissioner, none of them mentioned that Masoudi, Ford's assistant, Rashid, the MPP, and Rematula, the developer, had all in fact been booked in for massages together. Uh, according to CTV News, Masoudi and Rashid uh, each got the good luck ritual massage, while Rematula got a custom massage all at 4 p.m. on February 1st, 2020, which would have been a separate trip from the one previously described by Masoudi and Rashid to the integrity commissioner. I really enjoyed the press conference, which was over a month ago now, and the last time that Ford actually took questions from the media, just throwing that out there. But he was asked a bunch of questions about this Vegas trip and ever so carefully avoided saying the words Las Vegas or massage in his answers. I'm wondering what you felt personally or thought personally when you heard the story about Mr. Rashid and the massages in Vegas with people, somebody else who worked in your office at the time, and a developer as well. Yeah, well, I first of all, I, I write it in the paper, to be very frank with you, got advised. I expect everyone to follow the rules, people inside and outside of the government. And I think I've demonstrated if you don't follow the rules, uh, I don't want you part of the government. I don't want uh, even the outsiders uh, dealing with government. There's rules uh, that are made for a reason. Follow the rules. It's as simple as that. Okay, so from here we discover from Doug Ford's office, we discover a secret passageway to the cafeteria. Yeah, it's pretty empty down here. There's not many people around at night. I'm, I'm surprised the cafeteria is still open. Can't see much. Oh, wait, what's that? What's this? Oh, they want us to put our hands in these bowls. Ooh. Squish. <laughs> Cookie. Squish. Oh. Oh, it's <laughs> what like. What is this? Oh, it's. Oh, I think it's just like. I think it's just like a bunch of like peeled grapes. But there's a voice whispering to us telling us that these are eyeballs. This actually isn't scary at all. All of which is to say, uh, how about that Sarah Jama? <laughs> My goodness, that was a... They're, they're sticking our hands at a bunch of peeled grapes and telling us it's eyeballs. Yeah, it was a bad day at Queen's Park today. Today being Monday, the October 23rd. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the PC government successfully passed a motion to censure the now former NDP MPP Sarah Jama for her statement that followed Hamas's attack on Israel, in which she called for a ceasefire and end to apartheid. The motion, which passed this morning, authorizes the Speaker to not recognize Jemma in the House until or if she retracts the social media posts related to the war in Gaza that she posted and apologizes in the chamber. This effectively silences the 29-year-old MPP, blocking her from asking questions during question period or participating in debates. 
although she could still vote. And she's only been there since, like, March, right? She was elected in the by-election to replace Andrew Horvath after Horvath stepped down to run for mayor of Hamilton, which she won. She hasn't really gone to do a whole lot. Uh, as you said, now former NDP MPP, the leader of the official opposition, Merritt Stiles, announced today that she would be kicking her out of the caucus. According to Stiles, the two of them had made an agreement sometime recently regarding JAMA's Palestinian activism and basically set some terms for what she could do or what she could say or how much of a heads up she had to give. I think as Stiles put it, she just didn't really want any surprises. Surprises, they should talk exactly. About things, talk about things first, which is... I mean that that I mean in that framing that in and of itself is is reasonable. And my understanding is that since that agreement, JAMA both announced that she was suing Doug Ford or threatening to sue Doug Ford for defamation. And then this morning she made a statement in the legislature, which was not the same one that she had mm. uh, cleared with styles in advance um, oh. that like used the word apartheid and other sort of con- uh, contentious phrases related to Israel and Gaza that was not part of the the pact. So that's why she's gone. I mean, a lot of people that don't like JAMA's statement, I think, are in agreement that the PC's reaction to this silencing her is overkill and fairly undemocratic to shut up a politician, elected politician for a statement that doesn't match perfectly with mm-hmm. your values. Governments and institutions in Canada are trying to use their voice to wait and wait to silence us, to silence workers, students, educators, and peace-loving people who dare to support Palestine. And we must continue to speak up no matter the costs. I mean, it's not great for Merritt Stiles because, you know, people told her to kick her out of caucus two weeks ago and she didn't. She stuck her neck out for JAMA quite a few times, and then ultimately this is the result anyways. While the PCs kind of got this win of being able to direct so much attention to the NDP, calling, (laughs) accusing them of anti-Semitism for a week. And and then it's awful for Sarah JAMA because, well, Alan S. Hale, Queen's Park Today's reporter, Sarah JAMA's office is directly across the the hall from... Mm. I guess we could we could head up there if you want to see from Queen's Park's office. And he said that he he saw and it was completely like empty this afternoon. So it's a a chance she's not coming back. Yeah. Um, she, I mean, I would say it's only I don't think we need to head up there. It's only scary to people. I would say that her office is probably only scary to people who find Palestinian flags to in and of themselves be scary or the statement free Palestine to be a threat. But it is actually hard. Like for all the, the ways people are often punished or have uh, various consequences for expressing support for Palestinian causes, it actually is kind of tricky to find elected politicians being officially or formally silenced or censured. Yeah, I was trying to look for examples of that, but I couldn't really find any. Did you? uh, Well, I looked and so it turns out like one of the reasons it's hard to find other examples right now is it's at least partly because the U.S. House of Representatives is, for wacky reasons we don't need to get on to on this show, uh, that the House is currently without a speaker and until the Republicans get their shit together to elect one, uh, none of their threatened censures against Michigan Democratic Representative Rashida Tlaib can actually proceed. So they're Probably actually would be similar motions being debated in the House right now, but they can't debate anything in the House because they don't have a speaker. They don't have a speaker, and they don't. Yeah, it's it's a, it's it's a, it's a mess. And then, of course, in twenty twenty, you know, like former UK 
Labour Party leader Jeremy Corbyn in 2020 was suspended by the party's new leadership for his defiant response to an investigation that found he'd mishandled complaints of anti-Semitism as leader. Although the extent to which that whole controversy around anti-Semitism stemmed from his support of Palestinians is probably something that biographers will be debating for decades. But was he suspended? I mean, I think there's something different being suspended from a political party than being like censured by parliament the way that the JAMA now is. Yes. Although I would argue that in the context, it was effectively ending his career. It was trying to end his career. Trying to end his career. (laughs) Yes. When I saw that Sarah Jama was was threatening to sue Doug Ford, by which I mean she was delivered a a lawyer lawyer on her behalf, delivered a cease and desist letter slash notice of libel to him, threatening to sue Doug Ford over his comments that said in these words that she supports the rape and murder of Jewish people, which you'd think would be a pretty, um, pretty obviously defamatory statement. But, you know, courts tend to give a lot of deference to elected politicians in terms of what they can say. And when you litigate something that necessarily drags out the controversy around it, and unless you're reasonably sure you're going to win or have a good shot at winning, sometimes it's not often not worth the trouble. In this case, uh, her lawyer is Stephen Ellis, who's uh, an interesting character who's very much an, a Palestinian a Palestinian activist and who has a history of offering legal support to people who have been called out uh, rightly or wrongly for expressing anti-Semitic attitudes. It's largely for people who've been called out for expressing support for Palestine. But in 2020, he defended the, the proprietor of Food Benders, which was that business that became the center of a controversy around its uh, initially for its vocal support for Palestinians. But then it also turned out that the owner had, in fact, posted some anti-Semitic things on social media. He successfully got some discrimination charges dropped against her. Last year, he represented uh, Laith Maroof, the community from the Community Media Advocacy Center, which also is a center of controversy for having called out in a very uh, ham-fisted manner uh, Jewish white supremacists and was dropped from uh, – I think he and his organization were dropped from having uh, a contract with the federal government. Uh, Ellis also represented Sheikh Shafiq Huda in a lawsuit against like B'nai B'rith, Sue and Levy and others. In 2018, a United Church minister, Karen Robnett, also in a lawsuit against Sue and Levy. In 2021, he represented Javier Davila, uh, the, the TDSB teacher who was also Toronto Sun stirred up shit around his positions. Uh, so it's a really interesting niche that he's found. But he's also personally is not the person I would hire to undertake a defamation suit against the premier who has vast resource, vast public and private resources at his disposal and no incentive to negotiate a settlement, which is to say chances are this is going to drag on for a while and uh, will not necessarily work out in the plaintiff's favor. Yeah, I personally don't think Ford is too stressed about this for the simple reason. Well, two simple reasons. One, he has vast resources at his disposal. Uh, And he also has won a defamation case since he's been premier. I don't know if you remember when um, ex-OPP Deputy Commissioner Brad Blair sued Mm -hmm. Ford for defamation after the premier talked a bunch of shit about him for being a whistleblower about the attempted appointment of Ford's friend Ron Tavener to OPP commissioner. That case went before several courts, and Blair, who had also been fired from his OPP job for speaking out, ultimately lost. A judge ruled that his case against Ford was like too close to a slap motion and that the premier's remarks were in the public interest, and Blair ended up having to pay 
$130,000 for Doug Ford's legal fees. And also, I think he had to pay for his own legal fees. And also, he had been fired from his job. So, you know, that's like a life-ruining set of scenarios, yeah, I think. Yeah, that's the other thing. Is like Even if Stephen Ellis is maybe not charging his for his services in this case, if they were to lose even on a motion or something, chances are they would be on the hook for a portion, a significant portion of Doug Ford's legal fees. And like Sarah Jama, she's only 29 years old. Like, I don't think she has significant personal resources. I mean, most 29-year-olds don't. And like, it's not like she's been collecting an MPP salary for very long. So I think the legal fight will be a challenge for her. And it'll be interesting. Uh, so the day after this episode comes out, I think we'll mark the seven-day window that they gave the premier to delete his post and apologize uh, for assuming he won't do that. Then assume a period of time will pass before they like offer or um, actually file a statement of claim against him. But I guess we'll see if that actually happens. All right, we're, we're walking back down this creaky hallway. Look, those are all the official portraits of the premiers of yore. Ooh, of yore. Wait, what's that under the portrait of Kathleen Wynne? It's bubbling. It's a cauldron. What is this in Doug Ford's House of Horrors? Who is stirring that cauldron? Why it is none other than Bonnie Crombie. Can't believe Doug Ford made the only female candidate in the liberal leadership where he's a witch in his house of horrors. Seems Ooh. pretty misogynist. Yeah, that definitely I wouldn't seems, have done that. <laughs> no, that but that definitely seems like the thing sort of thing Doug Ford would do. I mean, in fairness, it does seem like Doug Ford is actually legitimately frightened of the prospect of Mississauga Mayor Bonnie Crombie becoming the Ontario Liberal leader. Crombie is the front runner in the race, having out fundraised her rivals. There hasn't been very much polling on the contest, but the small amount there has been shows her way out in front. And perhaps most crucially to the PCs, Crombie is very popular in Mississauga, which means she has the potential to be popular in the rest of the 905. And the 905 is where provincial elections are decided. So the Ontario PCs keep sending out emails about Bonnie Crombie and taunting her and talking about how shitty she is. And keep in mind, she's, she's still the, the current mayor of Mississauga, which is, what, the second or third largest city in the province, technically, uh, which I guess is the subject of like this email from Khalid Rashid, who's no longer in the party. He's the aforementioned massage-loving MPP. Mayors across Ontario gathered this week for the province's biggest municipal conference, yet the mayor of Ontario's third largest city was missing in action. Since when do they care who goes to the AMO conference? Just last week, Bonnie Crombie had to respond to criticisms that she's more focused on her leadership race than the people of Mississauga. It's funny that the thing they keep going after her for is just like how she's acting as the mayor of Mississauga. <laughs> so from going from where's Bonnie Crombie to the more recent email, Bonnie's back. Or, or they, as they qualified, Bonnie's back, sort of. Instead of building homes, she took an extended vacation to run for a liberal leader. She skipped votes, left tens of millions, etc. Anyway, they, they usually only send out emails like these, uh, you know, very specifically going after a person when they're genuinely scared of that person winning and uh, are kind of intimidated. Yeah, I've seen a bunch of internal PC polls that campaign research was conducting on Nick Kovalis' firm. 
the surveys like generally have an overall theme. Like the most recent one was, uh, was Doug Ford's Green Pelt apology good enough? But at the end of all of them, respondents are asked what they think about a bunch of different politicians. And notably, Crombie is always on that list alongside Trudeau and Pierre Polyev and Doug Ford. None of the other leadership candidates, like it does not ask what people think about uh, Nader's Keen Smith or yes, or Nakvi. Like the PCs don't even bother wanting to know that, um, which I think shows that they're, A, are pretty sure who's going to win the liberal leader show contest, and two, are, they're a little worried about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do want to say, like, just one other thing that's pretty funny. Paul Calandra, again, the new housing minister, he's, what do you, how do you say shameless in his um, ability to spin uh, things in the in the legislature. He's also the government house leader, so he does a lot of talking. Mm-hmm. Um, and hilariously, in the last few weeks, uh, a couple times, he's been talking about Bonnie Crombie for whatever reason and uh, attacking her for being the, she's the one who, only one who left who wants to open up the green belt. The PCs were reversing it. We are making it law that no one can ever change it again. Bonnie Crombie, she said that she wants to open it up or she's a, a open to land swaps. <laughs> Just like after all of this, after all of it, you're doing that? Man. Yeah, I don't even know what, to, <laughs> I, 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 I don't even bold. It's bold. <laughs> it's the reason that people don't like politicians. What's that? Allison, do you smell that? Whoa, look out that window. Holy, that's a lot of stuff burning. Queen's Park, the park behind the legislature, it's on fire. No, the, the trees. It looks like the park is okay. It's, it's like something on Wellesley Street. It's like, it's like a big pile of are those the trees from Ontario Place? Oh, they must be. Oh, oh no, that's that's bad. It that's is... really sad. They've been murdered and turned into kindling. They are creating that smoke as a nice spooky feel to it in the air out there, though, I gotta say. This fire right beside a state building would scare most people, especially when they heard the logs on it had had been yeah. hacked down mercilessly from a public space. But Doug Ford's not. He, I don't think he's scared of this. Wasn't it, I think was it, was it Rob or Doug Ford or both who said like a tree can't give anyone a job? I think it was Rob, right? <laughs> I think Doug Ford said something similar. So like, yeah, they, they, he doesn't care. I mean, they're they're not getting giving anyone jobs, but they're I guess they're keeping someone warm. Hopefully, it doesn't get too out of control. Yeah, we haven't gone too deep into the Ontario place, Therma. No, spa not since it was announced like situation. three years ago or two years ago. Yeah. We talked about it when we talked about the Ontario Science Center. Good thing nothing's happened with it since. Right, <laughs> right. And you liked the idea. When we talked about it in 2021, you really liked the idea of the spa, of a spa anyway. Listen, I can give a spa based analysis later on. I like spas. <laughs> Let's just say as of now, the West Island of yeah. Ontario Place is closed, I think, completely or close to completely mm-hmm. to the public. And there's an RFP out to cut down hundreds, maybe over a thousand trees there. And people are mad about it, but it's mostly, I, I think, a pretty... Toronto urbanist set that that's really up in arms. And I, I think the wider public across Ontario 
just cares about the Senosphere, really. Yeah, if that. Or they frankly just don't give a shit at all. But the people who care are deeply, deeply passionate, as they should be. It's a huge, <laughs> it's a massive privatization of a child, of one of the few good, as we talked about, chunks of public space that was initially developed as a, you know, maybe not the most well-conceived, but still a very vaguely utopian Ontario identity <laughs> branding project that is now going to be if this actually happens, uh, enclosed, privatized, and filled with steam. I mean, they're pressing ahead with this, I would say, faster than other things they've promised to do. I guess the Ontario line is kind of starting to be built. Highway 413 is not, really. This one actually feels like it's about to happen. Maybe that's in part because lots of activists are taking pictures of things happening a lot, which maybe they aren't Mm -hmm. up in... Wherever the highway is going to be, there's going to be a, a Thermé Spa. A Austrian company mm-hmm. uh, has hired many lobbyists in Toronto to spear the head this, and they've got a lot for their bucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least so far, the the province is going to pay upwards of four hundred million dollars to build a giant parking garage for the spa which is somehow going to be below ground, even though Ontario places are made out of dirt. Landfill or something? Yeah, I don't know how. That just seems know. like bad. Uh, but they were the prospect of a above-ground multi-level parking lot would have blocked the pods from views, and uh, they didn't want to do that. So that they have some aesthetic sense. Yeah, and they did change the layout in August in a way that makes the spa slightly smaller and the public-ish space around it slightly bigger. Um, That's sort of like sort of like the way I, I'll shift in the bed a little bit and Barkley, my dog, will have like slightly more room at the edge, but it's not really a lot more room and he'll give it a second and then just jump off. It's like it's not really a difference between me being in the bed and me not being in the bed. It's more a difference between me being in the bed and like bending my legs or not. I mean, the problem, I think, lies in the fact that we don't know anything about the contract that they have with Therma, other than the fact that the lease is 95 years long. There's something weird about, like, the public spaces around it. Like, Therma is going to have to maintain the beaches and the stuff around the Mm -hmm. spa, even though those will technically be public. But again, like, putting that in private hands for 95 years. Who knows beaches better than Austrians? Right. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there's lots of things where, like, even if you thought building the spa was the greatest idea in the world, it's sketchy. There's sketchy aspects. And to me, it's the 95-year lease. Like, I get that if a company is going to invest millions of dollars to build something, they want assurances that what they build will get to continue to operate in that place. But, like, are they paying rent? I'm doubtful. And 95 years is a freaking long time. Like 95 years before today was 1928. Oh, the world's not going to last 95 years into the future in any recognizable form. I'm not. I mean, the state of Ontario place will be the least of our our, our worries, e- even 20 years into the future. Fair enough, but I mean, the governments—they're loosely, like at least on paper, thinking that far ahead. And they're thinking that far ahead with the they're going to rebuild this spooky building we're in. And they're like talking about how to build it to like last hundreds of years, which is surprisingly forward thinking Mm -hmm. for the government, (laughs) the provincial government. But, yeah, I mean, just like the the claim that the, the spa made of glass 
will be here for 95 years when the government is also out of the other side of their mouth saying that the Ontario Science Centre, which is made out of like incredibly thick concrete uh, and actually is a building that would last a very long time, perhaps it may last into the dystopian future, <laughs> that, that that building's crumbling and can't be saved even though it's like just over 50 years old. Like it's just nonsense, right? Thermae is also projected that it's going to have 14,000 people attending on its peak days, uh, leading City of Toronto staff to note that the ROM only has about 5,500. Only 19,000 people go to the Eiffel Tower every day, which maybe not only, like that's a lot of people to do something in one day. But like, where are 14,000 people coming from to go to <laughs> this spa every day like it's just it doesn't make sense and like are you gonna have enough staff at the spa to give 14,000 massages seems tough which I think is like both the 95 year lease the parking lot the weird say over the land around it and the, and the optimistic attendance projections like though all combined, like, it just feels like they're doing so much. They signed on with TIFF in this, like, Mm -hmm. partnership thing. And, like, they're really trying to, like, do maybe kind of like a corporate citizenship thing on the side that I really think is actually kind of just drawing more attention to the people that don't like this. Plus, it's a spa that's, like, not even close to being open. Why do you have to really get the consumer on your side at this point? I don't know. It just feels like they're doing a lot and it's not really working. It reminds me, yeah, it reminds me of the when MGM Resorts was lobbying for a casino at uh, Exhibition Place. They could have lobbied quietly behind the scenes, but those were casino people. Those were, they, they literally in their casino resort business, they were very loud and showy and flashy about it in ways that perhaps were an accurate reflection of the promised product, but which did, in that respect did it no favors. A while back, I actually tweeted like a spa-based analysis of Therma's place in the market Because as you rightly pointed out, Jonathan, I was excited about like the Thermae idea. And like part of me still like "Eh, it could be good. I don't totally hate it. (laughs) But we do know that Thermae first applied to build a spot Ontario place when the former liberal government took submissions Mm. for redevelopment in like 2017. Assume they were thinking about it before that would have probably been 2016. That's like seven years ago now. Assuming this thing gets built, add another four years on top of now, you know, we're talking over a decade from like conception to creation. And like, I would just argue that Toronto's spa landscape has shifted a lot since then. In 2017, there was only a handful of places where you could like sit in a steam room in the city or in lots of places that weren't even in the city. You had to go to like the Russian Spitz in Mississauga. There's a Korean spa in North York like Elmwood, there mm-hmm. was Body Blitz, mm-hmm. a couple high-end hotels, and that was kind of it. Mm-hmm. Now, if you look around, there's uh, more locations of Body Blitz. There's a huge new spa complex, indoor-outdoor one in Whitby. There's Go Place Spa in Markham. There's that other ship chain of kind of like hipster sauna, new agey tech bro Oh, saunas. sounds horrible. <laughs> that sounds horrible. And there's like at least a few more in the Blue Mountain area that didn't exist then. So like there's the consumer has options in oh. a way that the consumer did not really have options in 2016. So I think that means that A, like Therma's going to have to be good to actually draw spa people 
if I'm going to go there, it's got to be good. If it sucks the first time I go, I won't go back. So, and because there's 10 other places I could go if I want to go into mm. a sauna, 15 other places I could go. So, I maybe like all this is proof that the demand for hot water or hot experiences in Toronto has grown. And I, I take that into account, but like they better do a good job or it's going to be tough out there, I think. So, I think it's not a long term plan in a world that's only going to get warmer. You, you might be right. Okay, I want to put it one other sketchy thing. One sketchy, this is not to do with Therma, this doesn't have to do with that company, but it does have to do with the broader Ontario Place redevelopment, which includes changing over the Budweiser stage so it can be all year. Is it still called Budweiser stage? Or is it called <laughs> to my knowledge, it is, yeah. Yeah, revamping that. And they're going to build, like, whatever places you can buy, like, food and drinks and stuff around the property and the, the general Ontario Place grounds and a company called Ontario Live, which is owned by a man named Slatko Starkovsky, is, mm. uh, according to The Globe, uh, going to get a sole source deal to provide those food and beverage services. Starkovsky was the owner of the former music nightclub at ex- Exhibition Place. Mm. He now owns some sort of supper club there. Music Nightclub is a venue where Rob Ford allegedly did cocaine in 2014. Uh, several times he was there on like some crazy nights. Starkovsky also provided the refreshments at a bunch of Ford Fest when Rob was mayor. Another person involved in Ontario Live is a man named Sheldon Esben. He's the founder of Romston Investment Corp. This guy was using John Mudden, the so-called Mr. Mm. X of recent uh, Queen's Park conversation, as a lobbyist last year to try to get a minister's zoning order to develop a casino in the Kawarthas, which the government ultimately granted. So we have a... (laughs) Ford Fest tie-in. We have a Mr. X tie-in. We have a casino tie-in. We have a controversial land rezoning tie-in. And then on the other side, we have the flashy spa. So I, I feel mm. like there's kind of, uh, I don't know, it's not just a story about a spa being built. There's layers, <laughs> layers to this underground parking lot. <laughs> Fuck, after all that smoke, like a fuck, we fucking stink now. I think we should go to the the washroom and like splash some water in our faces now. Yeah, I still got grapes on my hand. Ah, they have all gender washrooms at Queen's Park, I imagine. Yeah, no, uh, no, no one's, one's here. No one's here. So we can go in this one. No one's here. Yeah. Oh, careful! Oh. That water's oh. full of lead. Don't drink oh. any of that. Oh, okay, can I splash it on my face? Ooh. Yeah, probably, probably not so great. Is the water full of lead? Is that a Halloween thing, or is the water always full of lead? Oh no, it's very dangerous. Oh. It's really full of lead. You can go out to the uh, the the cooler outside if you want some plastic waste. That, that that's pretty fucking scary. Oh shit! In the mirror. Oh, so it's Doug Ford. <laughs> he's following my moves. Everything we do, and he's slowly getting older. Oh god, so are you? So am I. Oh god, so am I. <laughs> We're trapped in this never-ending dance. Staring into each other's eyes, Whoa. slowly aging, and we realize we can't pull ourselves apart. <laughs> We're here, stuck, <laughs> bound to each other, our lives entwined. As I have to watch, I can't turn away, unblinking. And he doesn't blink, he just stares, his little, be- his little eyes looking beadier than ever. As he gets older, 
and his blonde hair turns white and whiter and whiter. And my hair is white too until we become the same person. And we look up and we wonder what we've done with our lives. Yo, I'm out. <laughs> and that was Wag the Dog, a show about how death will come for us all. I'm Jonathan Goldsby, and you can find me on Blue Sky at, I don't know, I guess Goldsby at something or other, and occasionally hosting Shortcuts, which is the immediate criticism show that comes out Thursdays on the main Candleland feed. I'm Allison Smith, and you can find me on Twitter at, at Queen's Park Today. Our producer is Katie Lohr, and Joe Foe is our managing editor, Karen Pugliese is our editor-in-chief, and our theme music is by Nathan Burley. Our podcast is listener-supported. Go to candleland.com slash join to help us keep this podcast going. You can listen ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Hey, WAG listeners, it's Allison, reminding you that this show cannot be made without you. If you've been thinking about becoming a Candleland supporter, we're having a pretty great sale right now. You'll get premium ad-free feeds of all Candleland shows, discounts on merch from our store, and exclusive bonus episodes from some of our podcasts. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Canada Land supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special offer for our listeners. For $2 a month, you can become a supporter and do your part to ensure we can continue making this show. And we really like making this show for you. Basically nothing costs $2 anymore. You could like get a bag of candy, a locker at a public swimming pool. I've been honestly trying to think of something that cheap and I'm not getting far. So sign up for just $2 a month. For the next six months, just go to canadaland.com slash join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today.